I was so excited after that song and a little dizzy that I, I jumped up here too early. All right, now we're ready to go. Y'all ready? You ready to hear a word from the Lord? This is my favorite word from the Lord, okay? And I'm excited to share it with you this morning. Uh, I get asked a lot, what's, what's your most favorite Bible verse? It's weird, but I get asked that seriously like once or twice a month. Like ever since I've been preaching, it just, people just ask me. I think sometimes it's people who don't know what to say or what to ask me. But, but I get, I got asked that just twice in this past week. Once on Wednesday from a guy in Odessa I've never met before. And then on Thursday from my youngest first cousin who I haven't seen in years. But I get asked that. What is your most favorite Bible verse? And when I get asked that, sometimes I like to play around with it a little bit. I like to tell people my favorite Bible verse is Acts 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, we all came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the church and kept on preaching till midnight. I love that verse, don't you? I don't know why we haven't taken that verse and applied that direct command, necessary inference, you know. I don't know why we haven't done that. Preaching till midnight. I love that verse. I also like to tell people in the church, I like to remind them, hey, we have on most Sundays an attended nursery for our babies during the worship service. That way the words of the prophet in Isaiah 65, 19 can be fulfilled. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. I love that, okay? And I also like to tell people, if someone comes up to me right after church and they have a suggestion I like to give them a word from the Lord from Job 9:27. I will forget my complaint. I will change my expression and smile. I love that verse. I love that verse. Words are important. Language is important. A guy got a phone call from his doctor's office one afternoon. Lady says, sir, your test results have come back and I've got bad news and I've got worse news. The guy said, bad news? What's the bad news? She said, well, sir, I'm sorry. You've only got 24 hours to live. He said, 24 hours to live? What could be worse than that? She said, well, I was supposed to call you yesterday. <laughs> and so timing is also important, right? Not just the words, but the timing of the words. And, and when they're said, when did a person say these words? And I think just, just as people, we tend to pay more attention to someone's last words. The last words a person says before he dies. It seems like we give a lot of weight to those kinds of words. Now, admittedly, sometimes we don't pay attention at all. I'm reminded of the tombstone and the words on the, on the tombstone that said, I told you I was sick. So sometimes we don't listen at all, but we do know a lot of famous people's last words. Some last words are sobering. Queen Elizabeth I said from her deathbed in 1603, all my possessions for a moment of time. Some last words are full of remorse. The last words of African Prime Minister Cecil Rhodes, so little done, so much to do. Some last words are ironic. H.G. Wells reportedly told his nurse right before he died, go away, I'm all right. Some famous last words are inspiring. I think about Colonel William Barrett Travis, in one of his last letters from the Alamo, I am determined to sustain myself as long as possible and die like a soldier who never forgets what is due to his own honor and that of his country, victory or death. 
inspiring words. Some people, as they die, though, have nothing to say. Pancho Villa reportedly said, don't let it end like this. Tell them I said something. My most favorite verse in the Bible is John 16, 33. Would you turn there, please, in your Bibles? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth book in the New Testament, John chapter 16, verse 33. These are the last words our Lord Jesus said to his followers as they ate dinner together on the night he was betrayed. And to me, it seems like the perfect verse to consider on the last day of the year. And we should give these last words of Jesus the attention they deserve. We should give them the heart and the mind and the strength and the soul that they deserve. John 16, 33, these are the words of our Lord Jesus. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world... You will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen. Amen. Now, I really love this whole section of scripture right here. These are some of my favorite chapters in the Bible. John 13, 14, 15, and 16. A lot of scholars call this the table discourse. This is when Jesus is having this final meal with his followers on this night before he's betrayed. And he's giving them his final instructions. He's telling them everything they need to know right before he leaves. He tells them in this, in this table discourse, I'm going away. I'm leaving you, and where I'm going, you can't come, but I am coming back. He is coming back. In the meantime, until I return, and Jesus gives all these instructions, and he gives us all these promises, these words that sustain us until his second advent. Back in chapter 14, Jesus promises us peace. My peace I give you, he says. I don't give you peace like the world gives. I'm giving you true peace, genuine peace, my peace. And in the middle of chapter 16, joy, the Son of God promises us joy. I will see you again, he says, and you will rejoice. And no one will ever be able to take away your joy. Peace and joy. Two of the greatest blessings, two of the most meaningful promises we have in our Lord Jesus. But during this talk around the table, Jesus also promises trouble, struggle, trials and persecutions because of him. Chapter 15, the world hated me, it's going to hate you too. And I love how the whole thing at the table, everything that Jesus needs to say to his followers, he boils it down to its essence here in, in verse 33. This is like, this is the bottom line. Jesus says, this kind of sums up the whole thing. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We have joy and peace in Christ. Yes, it's guaranteed Joy and peace. Praise God. But those gracious gifts that surpass all human understanding have to be received and experienced in the context of suffering. Discipleship is discovering peace when you're surrounded by threat. 
It's finding tranquility in the middle of hostility. Jesus says, take heart. Now, some of your translations might say, take courage or be of good cheer. I think the, the best translation is courage. The Greek word is tharseo, and that word means courage. It's the same word, if you'll look in Matthew and Mark, this is the same word Jesus uses when he's on the boat with his disciples in the middle of the storm. Remember, we've got that story several times. Right? And you've got the wind and the waves and the noise and the chaos and the fear and the danger. And Jesus says, Tharseo, right? He says, take courage. Take heart. You know, I'm here. It is I. I am. Remember? Don't be afraid. And the same thing here in 1633. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. Take courage. I have overcome the world, the peace of Christ, okay, possessing this, this great eternal peace that we have in Jesus does not ever mean we're not going to have trouble. Now, there are theologies out there. There are preachers and teachers. There are Christian authors out there who will tell you that faith in Christ empowers you to never have to go through hard times. If you're strong in your faith, then you won't have any troubles. If you're truly following Christ, you won't get sick and you won't become poor. The bad things that happen to other people won't happen to you. The theological phrase for that is horse pucky. The Bible doesn't say that. In fact, the Bible says exactly the opposite. With Jesus, both trouble and peace always go hand in hand. Our Lord Jesus promises both struggle and discouragement with peace and joy. His victory for us, church, is not immunity from trouble. It's peace in the middle of the trouble. It's not deliverance from the storm. It's the divine calm in the middle of the storm. It's the perfect peace in the middle of the wind and the waves that carry you through the storm. The joy and peace of Christ does not ignore the troubles of this world. Listen, true Christianity takes trouble seriously. But you know how a seagull can just kind of sit on top of the ocean? You know what I'm talking about that? Can you picture that? This seagull that kind of just sits on the top of the water, right? Even in the middle of a storm, the seagull just kind of sits there and, and rises with the swells and kind of dips down in the valleys, just no matter what the sea is doing, the seagull is completely at peace. And Jesus tells us plainly around this table that yes, the world is openly hostile to the things of God and to the people of God. For disciples of Christ to live in this world means we're going to experience struggle. We're going to experience conflict. There's going to be hostility because the kingdoms of this world, all of them, stand opposed to the kingdom of God. All of them. The world's values and vision, the morals and the ethics of the nations, they're all the exact opposite of our values and our vision and our morals and ethics that we share together in Jesus. And so living here is not easy. Jesus never once pretends that it is. He knows it's tough. He lived it. 
And it killed him, remember? And so he reminds us, in this world, yes, you will have trouble. But take courage. I have overcome the world. Reminds me very much of the passage at the end of Romans 8. I think about... uh, Man, we might wind up reading this whole thing. But Romans 8, 37, right? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I think this is one of those bottom line statements for the Apostle Paul too, right? I think this is, this is Paul saying, look, here's the final word. Here's the big picture. Let me just boil it down to one sentence here. Verse 31, look at Romans 8, 31. What shall we say in response to this? The Greek word here is tanta, so it really means these. It's plural, right? So what shall we say in response to these things? What things, Paul? What are you talking about? Well, everything I've been writing For the last six or seven pages, right? If you go back to Romans 5, verse 1, we have the peace of Christ. Verse 2, we have the grace of God. Verse 5, we have hope in our hearts and God's Holy Spirit inside us. We've been justified. Verse 7, we've been reconciled. Verse 10, chapter 6, we're going to live a brand new life just like Jesus Eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then then chapter 8, right? Verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Eternal glory belongs to you. If you're in Christ, you're set. Right? Right now, today, and forever. You're good. And so verse 31, Paul says, look, let me sum it up for you. God is for us. Church, that's good news. God is for us. Let's all say that together, okay? God is for us. He is. And if God is for us, who in the world can ever be against us, truly? All right, we're reading it, okay? Stand up. We cannot hear these words of God sitting on our rear ends this morning, all right? Stand up. Listen to this. These are the eternal words of God. This is our creator. This is our father. Listen, if God is for us, who can be against us, right? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger Or sword? (laughs) Please. No. Verse 37. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced. Brothers and sisters, we are convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers... Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. You can sit down once you've said amen. Amen. All right? Everybody. 
Especially if you didn't spin during that song, all right? You say amen, you sit down, you're good. Okay. Man, that all, almost is like, that's in my top five of favorite passages, right? And that passage is very familiar to us. But I think a lot of the times we hear it out of context. Like I, I hear that passage read a lot at funerals. And, and that's not bad. That, that's good. That's fine. It's okay. But this passage and Jesus' words to us in John 16 are not about death. It's not about what happens to us when we die. This is very much about life for followers of Jesus right now today. When Jesus says, I have overcome the world, he is moving us to new levels of confidence for living today right now. He is pushing us to greater heights of assurance in God's faithfulness to his church today right now. And so we don't have to sin. Think about that. We don't have to sin we never have to compromise anything. In the middle of the mess, we can live fully for our Lord Jesus. Why? Because his victory is ours. Scripture does not ignore the bad stuff, okay? Scripture verifies, right? The Bible says there's going to be bad stuff. There's plenty of opposition out there. There is suffering out there. There are people who hate Christians out there. There are so-called Christians out there who are making it worse for us. Okay? There's just the normal trials and struggles that come with living life in a broken world. There's also the devil himself. But with God on our side, not just God with us, but seriously, God for us. With God on our side, none of that opposition has a chance. In fact, God can turn the opposition, he can turn all the bad stuff into something that works out for your good. In fact, Romans 8 goes on, no one can successfully condemn you. Nobody can ultimately defeat you with God on our side. It says Christ Jesus died for you. Not only that, he was raised by God to life for you. And he's your divine intercessor. And with a defense attorney like that, I guarantee you the opposition is going to lose every single time. And so nothing, nothing will ever separate you from his love. And so you can be today a full speed, breaks off, no looking back, follower of Jesus Christ. You can take risks for the kingdom of God. You can be extravagant in your forgiveness and acceptance of others. You can be lavish in your love for everybody, including your enemies. You can be all in all the time. You can never be swayed by the world. Praise God. That is great news. Jesus saves. Hallelujah. Amen. And I can own that. And I want to take that, the joy and the peace and the confidence and the assurance that we have in Jesus Christ. I want to take that. I want to own it. I can preach that all day long. Some of y'all are worried about that right now. <laughs> I can preach it. I can sing it, right? At the top of my lungs, faith is the victory. Victory in Jesus. I can own it. It's mine. And then I walk out those doors and I can't even get to my truck in the parking lot. Before Satan says, oh yeah, watch this. 
I see you. He'll distract me. He will tempt me. He will attack me. And I'll fall. I'll say something that is the exact opposite of words that build others up. I'll do something out of arrogance or pride. I'll respond to something out of ego or self-preservation. I'll deny him. All of self, none of thee. Happens all the time. I fall. I deny my Christ. I betray my king. The world, man, it's still in me. And it gets me. All the time. And that doesn't surprise Jesus. He sees it coming. He knows. He knows. That's why he says in verse 32, a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone. Man, that verse cuts me to my soul. He knows. He knows I'm going to fail him. And it kills him. I hear it in his words, right? That, that our loyalty to him and our faithfulness to his kingdom and to his ways, that means everything to Jesus. You will leave me all alone. I think it kills him. It kills me. Does it kill you? When you fail, when you come up short, when you straight up betray our Lord, when you can't go one day without sinning against the one who saves you, when you can't die to yourself for even one hour out of commitment to the one who left his eternal home in glory to die for you, does your own up and down, on again, off again, sinfulness, discourage you? Yeah. Me too. That's why we have verse 33. Listen to the words of our Lord. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, please notice, this, this is important, okay? This is huge. In fact, this is everything, okay? Please notice, Jesus does not say, take heart, you will overcome the world. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, take courage, I've overcome the world, and now you can too. Because if Jesus puts that on us, we're dead. It's over, right? That wouldn't be good news. That would be awful. You know, if a golf pro hits every single green from every single tee every single time, and then he looks at you and says, take courage. I did it. You can too. You want to wrap your six iron around his neck, right? It's not helpful. That's not good news. 
If the president of the Mensa Society fills out the crossword puzzle in two and a half minutes and then he hands you one and says, be of good cheer, I did it, you can too. That is not good news. That doesn't help you. That only draws into sharper focus your inadequacies. I don't think Troy Aikman would ever in a million years walk up to Dak Prescott with a pile of videotapes from the 1990s under his arm and say, be of good cheer. I won three Super Bowls. You can too. That would be terrible. He would never do that. If Jesus were really just a heroic man who achieved a superior life in the spirit, if Jesus is really nothing but a good example of what I need to be, we're all dead. Because I can't do it. Jesus Christ has no value to me if he's just a standard that I have to live up to. Because I can't. We've tried to overcome the world and we have failed miserably. And we continue to fail horribly. Jesus' example of his superior humanity only makes my miserable failings more unbearable. It makes it worse. But, but if Jesus is more than a perfect human, if Jesus really is the divine son of God, then he overcomes the world, not for his sake, but for your sake, for my sake. He does that for us. His victory becomes our victory when we are in him. When we embrace the Lord in faith, it's our victory. His triumph becomes our triumph. His eternal life, his righteousness, his holiness, his redemption becomes mine. That's why it's called the gospel. It is good news. It is great news. Jesus says, take courage. Take heart. I have faced your enemy. And I've conquered it. I have fought your battle. And I won. I didn't just win. It was a blowout. It was a rout. Wasn't even close. You can't do it. Never. You don't have a chance. But that's okay, Jesus says. I've already done it for you. And I'm doing it right now for you. And in you. And through you. Jesus tells us around the table that night, abide in me, stay connected to me. And my eternal victory over this fallen world and its wicked ways, my victory over sin and death and Satan and everything that might possibly separate you from God and from one another, that victory of mine is yours. It belongs to you. Now, listen to Jesus. Listen to him. Listen to his words. In this world, you will have trouble. But take courage. I have overcome the world. Listen to Jesus. That is a promise. It is also a call. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Tomorrow starts the brand new calendar year. Today's the last day of the old year. 
it needs to be the last day of your old self. If you've never been baptized into Christ, if you're not connected to Jesus today because of sin in your life, something that has gone unconfessed, unrepented, unforgiven, today's the last day of the old year. What better day to take off the old self and put on the new self? What better day to overcome the world and to wake up in the morning a new creature baptized into Christ? His victory is yours. There's not a better day. There's not a better time. Here's what we're going to do. I want to ask our elders and ministers and all of our spouses, would y'all stand up right now and would y'all just kind of spread out around the worship center, just grab a couple of aisles. We just, we want to take some time and pray with you, okay? If there's sin in your life and you're not connected to the Lord right now, would you confess that today? We would love to lift that up to the Lord in Jesus' name for you right now. We will pray for you. We'll pray with you. If you just feel like celebrating the victory and you want to lift up a hallelujah to God, we would love to do that with you this morning. If you want to be baptized, if you've never put on Christ in baptism, if you've never gotten in the waters and been saved by his blood, why would you go to lunch today before you do that? Do that right now. We've got time. We're doing it. We're doing it if you need to. I would just encourage you, grab one of us. Let us pray with you. Let us encourage you. Let's remind each other. That in this world, there is trouble. But praise the Lord, he has overcome the world. Let's stand together, church. Let's sing. Let's pray.